Breakfast puppies? This podcast contains adult language and content and is meant for mature audiences. Listener discretion is advised. <laughs> You're listening to The Glitter Boys. We've been talking off and on since we started this that one of the topics we were most excited about to eventually get to was that of blood-sucking vampires. Yeah, vampires and rifts are unlike vampires anywhere else. And we've touched on the topic a little bit with the Size Stalker episode because they're kind of vampires, but just not quite vampire enough. Like when you come to a game and the word vampires on it. You want fucking undead bloodsuckers that turn into mist. And Palladium has you covered. Yeah. Yeah. And it's an interesting take on vampires. Because in Palladium, vampires are not... It's a whole different trope. It's, it's not just the vampires are fast. It's not just 28 Days Later zombies. It's not just... They are uh, beings of great wisdom and, and age. Like, uh, like an Anne Rice vampire. They are certainly not, as we will discuss later uh, in a picture in the revised edition, glittery vampires. <laughs> These are Cthulhu vampires. These are fragments of an elder god vampires. These are a malignant plague across the stars and dimensions vampires. These vampires are fucking interesting. Yeah, these to me takes me back to some of the cartoons and comic books that had the style of vampire stories where it was more of like an infection upon the planet stuff. Like, you know, the it spreads out like a malignant disease and the only way to kill it is to go to the source and kill that guy kind of thing. Palladium mm -hmm. has taken that and turned it into their own mythology that, in my opinion is very uniquely palladium stuff. Yeah. Now this is this is the Rifts version of vampires. I'm not versed enough in fantasy to know if this translates over into how they're looked at in fantasy. Yeah, let's start with that. Before we even dive into the Rifts vampires, let's look at vampires throughout the rest of Palladium. They're pretty much more or less exactly as they are in Rifts, only on a smaller scale. In the fantasy world, vampires are minimal there's just a very minimal presence there okay. in the night vane world they have some vampires they actually have a very unique character class called the vampire which is a player character class which is kind of like a vampiric essence character yeah but other settings vampires aren't really like as big front and center as they are in rifts where they have their own da, 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 vampire kingdoms. All of fucking Mexico and Central America. It's like yeah. vampire heaven. I like, the more I read about uh, the vampires in Rifts, Palladium's specific take on vampires, the, the more I like it. it. It deserves a third polishing. We have the original vampire kingdoms, which I believe we're going to be talking about to start yeah then there's uh, a revised edition with new art a ton of new lore which we may talk about in this one or a little bit later and there's also some supplements that are just fascinating as well 
vampires have a, a huge place in, in riffs and they are toe to toe. Some of the toughest things out there. We're, we're not talking about, we cut off its head. It is done. No, you have eight minutes before that head turns to mist, coalesces <laughs> on the body, and the vampire gets up and tears the robot apart. Yeah. You got to kill that thing quickly. Excuse me. I- I'm sorry. That was eight minutes if it was buried in the dirt. For those of you who know the subject matter better than me, please don't yell. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Let's take a step back and identify what it is that we're going to be focusing on in this episode. We've kind of been building up to it, and I had the big reveal a minute ago. We're looking at Rift's World Book One vampire kingdoms so before we get into the topic that is right there on the cover which by the way is a kevin long piece it's a beautiful beautiful piece one of my favorites the green cover yeah at the bottom of it the vampire faces oh yeah 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 yeah, yeah. they're actually people who worked at palladium at the time (laughs) i guess which one kevin long is i don't remember he's the the bald one oh on the right oh yeah yeah, Uh, excuse me on, on the left the one looking away. Oh, gotcha. Because I know the yeah. one, the the sneering mullet guy is Alex. Mm-hmm. And uh, I, I forget who the lady was. It's not Marianne. It was someone else who who had a, a nice glowing section in the Rift's Ultimate Edition 30th anniversary version. The right beautiful the one, yeah. Anyway, so this is the first world book for Rifts. Now, we're up to the 30s, I think, in the world books now. Late 30s. And this is the first one. This is the one that kicked off the entire Rift's World Book series. But it is not the first published splat book for Rift's. That would be Source Book One, which we haven't covered yet. I didn't read it, guys. It's my fault we're not covering it right now. (laughs) Yes. Shame. Shame. Anyway, this is the first of the World Books. And it is, in my opinion, an amazing book. It has everything that I want from a Palladium book, everything that I got used to in my youth coming from Palladium books. I came over from the fantasy series and I got used to a certain, you know, amount of quality content. And this book does not disappoint. And it opens up with a very interesting section here. Some thoughts by the author where he talks about a whole lot of shade that he had been receiving at the time from people that basically in his long-winded way kevin takes a moment to sort of tell the haters to fuck off (laughs) wait uh, i'm I'm gonna jump in here yeah palladium has received a lot of shade from a lot of sources from a lot of causes over the years now this is early riffs this is what 92 or four books in this is no 91 Three, four books in? So Sourcebook 1 came out, or I'm sorry, yeah. the Rift's Sourcebook, as it was called then, came out, and then Vampire Kingdoms. And then I want to say it was Conversion Book, uh, but I may be wrong. Could be. Anyway, I just want to say that he's taken a lot of flack from a lot of directions over the years, and the man keeps churning them out anyway. Just pause it and, and sit on that for a second. How many people have, have dealt with as much shit as, as Palladium and still still churned out an insane amount of quality product. I don't know. I couldn't tell you. Yeah, yeah. nobody. Everyone else runs for the fucking hills. Yep. <laughs> you know? Yeah, he opens up with this, you know, letters from the editor style bits at the beginning here, basically telling the haters to fuck off. And I love it. I really like this kind of stuff. Uh, it's a nice look into the the working mind of Kevin Sambita 
And it's also a slice of history right here because this book is 30 years old at this point. 30 years? Yeah, 30 years old at this point. So we're seeing the early era of Palladium, right? When it was like really hitting the markets big time with rifts. And, you know, we we do mock this occasionally, how every book has that disclaimer talking about how Palladium doesn't condone this, that, whatever. Mm. He goes into a little bit of detail here about why he does that. And it makes sense. It's It, it was a different time then. Kids getting into trouble and some deaths and whatnot that weren't even related <sighs> to this kind of stuff. But for some yeah. reason, the media found out about, you know, role-playing game books and some disturbed child It wasn't just this, though. I mean... Think about Tipper Gore and all that stuff that was happening Ugh. pretty near in the same goddamn era. This was yeah. just a time when society was like, this This was the first real, but think of the children kind of, kind yeah. of thing. So, yeah. But anyway, after, after we get through this, he just gets right into the subject matter. And on the first page of content here, talks about why their vampires are way more awesome than any vampires from anything else because they come from goddamn Cthuloid intelligences from other dimensions. And that's awesome. That term is tossed around a lot, Cthuloid intelligence, because it became popular. Cthulhu is on socks. Cthulhu is on cute little backpacks that cute little girls wear. Back in 91, <laughs> that wasn't a thing. And right here on page nine, you see very much a Cthulhu intelligence. There is a big blob with a big billion eyes with mouth tentacles rising from the deeps. I mean, this is this is an elder god. And it's important to realize that in Rifts, that's what vampires are. They are fractions. And then if you go down the hierarchy, it's a smaller fraction, but they are all pieces of a of a massive alien intelligence of what what would to us be an elder god. But this is not a nice, friendly elder god. This is not a clean elder god. This is a plague across the multiverse. Megaverse. Sorry. Sorry, everybody. Get it right. <laughs> Elric did this to me, okay? <laughs> what I also really love is that in this picture, we have this Cthulhu, we have this elder god here and these slavering monsters and fucking Dracula. <laughs> yeah, straight up Dracula style. right there. <laughs> So we should break it down. Uh, the, the levels of vampires. Okay, yeah. At, at the very top, you have what is essentially a god. Yeah. The, the vampire intelligence. You, as a player character, will never kill one of these. You just won't. Unless, unless your GM is wanting to take it to the limit. You know, like your characters are 10 to level, level 10 to 15 and you have powers of gods and rune swords and a shitload of magic. I've heard stories. Okay. I've heard stories. Yeah. They give them hit points. Okay. That means they That's can be true. killed. <laughs> if it bleeds, we can kill it. <laughs> this book goes into great detail on how to kill them. And it's not easy. Let's just say that it's not easy. The only stat that's under um, that's under twenty minimum is physical beauty. Oh, and speed. But it only has two d six times a hundred hit points. You know, only yeah. only the small eyes are a hundred hit points each. <laughs> mm -hmm. <laughs> you know, I wonder in a in a cross comparison, did that change the vampire intelligence? I'd, I'd really like to actually well, see. Let's dig into that when we get to the second, yeah. when we get to the revised version of this. 
So we got the Lord of the Undead here. Like we are at the very beginning of the book talking about vampires. And the first thing it talks about here is this elder God style thing. And it's fearsome. A lot of detail, a, a lot of terrible, horrible, soul crushing doom here. These, these are these are horrible things. They are nightmare gods. And they're here to infect your world with vampires. Then we've got the demon familiar, which is like the sliver, the, the largest sliver of this guy, of this intelligence. The demon familiar is kind of like this avatar of the intelligence here on the planet. Yeah, this is this is the part you will fight. This is yeah. the part you could banish if you're lucky. But yeah, this is the 60 foot tall slavering bat that eats towns. <laughs> Yeah, they show a picture of it. And I didn't actually realize how big it was until I saw the picture and the comparison. I'm like, oh, yeah, that thing's fucking monstrous. Uh, by Kevin, by the way. Oh, yeah, that's a Sambita picture. Nice. Okay, so then we got the actual vampires. Now, the, the actual vampires are the ones that you're thinking. The minions, they're called. These are the vampires. We got the master vampire. We got fucking Dracula here. And he's the guy that is in charge of he's all the, the other vampires. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, like if we've got the intelligence and then you've got the the familiar next to the familiar, you've got the master vampire and the master vampire is the one who is now in charge of creating the vampire army for the intelligence because the familiar can't do it. They need the master vampire. Now realize to get to the thing that will probably be the boss of whatever of, you know, whatever adventure you're running, you know, kill the master vampire is already the third hierarchy down of of what a vampire is. You got big big boss uh, god living in another dimension, sends forth a fragment which dominates this critter, which then is is the one that makes all the vampires. Yeah. So, so you're already three removed from the beginning. Yeah. Like, <laughs> now we're at Dracula, okay? So uh, we're, we're talking power levels here. Normally, when you think vampires, you think Dracula. I mean, Dracula, yeah. Dra- fucking Dracula. He's the biggest, baddest Dracula of them all. He's the big Dracula. Okay, Dracula is tier three. <laughs> yeah. Uh, when we get down uh, past Dracula, Dracula here, the master vampire, now he's creating secondary vampires. Now, the secondary vampires are what you think of as the common vampires. If you look at vampire fiction, you look at uh, any of the other stories. We're not talking white wolf here, mind you. We're talking vampire right. fiction, lore, legends. Those are basically the secondary vampires. I would say Lestat is a secondary vampire. Yeah. Any vampire that is intelligent, that is out there infiltrating society, that is you know, trying to make more vampires, but also kind of in some ways doing his own thing. That's a secondary vampire. Mm -hmm. Secondary vampires might be player characters. If your GM is running that kind of a game, ask. (laughs) Unless you know the GM is running that kind of game. Because secondary vampires are badass. The master, you know, Dracula, you're going to have a hard time killing him. But you're also going to have a hard time killing Dracula's children. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Let's talk uh, psionics, natural abilities that are just sick, Mm -hmm. invulnerable to most things. Mm -hmm. Oh, oh, you're a glitter boy. That's fucking adorable. Mm -hmm. Look at your big gun, (laughs) you know, and and then he fires it because of you're mocking the glitter boy, the knight of the land. And he just, oh, my suit. How dare you, sir? And then he rips the glitter boy apart. And underneath the secondary, we have the lowest tier, the fifth tier 
the shit tier of vampires. These are the wild vampires. These are these are the starving, maddened, probably naked, running around in the wilderness vampires. The ones that have this kind of um, instinctual intelligence. They can still fucking murder your entire town single-handedly, but they're easier to deal with because they're feral. Yeah, they're dumb. Yeah. Wild vampires are kind of like the zombies of vampires, I guess. They, uh, you know, if you think things like From Dusk Till Dawn or um, 30 Days of Night or that television show Van Helsing or, yeah. or V Wars kind of stuff, these are these are the, the shock troopers. They individually are, you know, the equivalent of a giant robot and a number of armored troopers. But mm-hmm. fortunately, they tend to be kind of dumb. So yeah. they're easier to fight. That said... They can still kick your ass <laughs> easily. <laughs> yeah. Okay. No, you were talking about powers here. The, like yeah. Psionics and psionics, yeah. mind control, rats, bats, and mist, wolves, summoning all of the above, just in, in insane strength. They can alter their aura, which means that it's going to be a lot more difficult to detect them. If you're a psionic, you know, vampire hunter, you need to know the signs other than just relying upon your mind powers. They can hypnotic suggest that you stop hunting them they have mind control over not just each other which is kind of interesting something i never knew is that there are rules in place for up vampires to just dominate each other it's pretty yeah. cool you can dominate up <laughs> the, you're yeah. gonna have a hard time doing it but it's mechanically possible anyway the all of these powers right mind control all of their super strength, all of their super regeneration. They can summon rats. They have limited vulnerability. There's very few things that can actually hurt them. All of this stuff. Oh, turn into wolves, turn into bats. All of this stuff. All of them have, including the shit tier shock troopers. That yeah. horde of mindless, ravening, zombie-like vampires out there. They can also turn into wolves. They can also use those psionic powers on you. That's why vampires are so fearsome. What would you say a a, a, a massive amount of mega damage is to be dished out from hand to hand? Because I would say that 24 fucking mega damage from a punch is, is a lot of mega damage. Now, that's if you roll well. So think about it this way. A vibro knife, a vibro short sword, whatever, is 1d6 mega damage. Now, that is probably the maximum amount of hand-to-hand mega damage that a rogue scholar-type adventurer is going to be able to do. Now, let's take it up a little bit. Let's say that this is kind of a a warrior type or something. They've probably got some kind of vibro blades, like a, you know, the, the... three fucking wolverine claws or maybe they've got a big fibro axe so they might be getting mm-hmm. up to like 3d6 md and that's if they're wielding something pretty powerful on the low end i'm oh, sorry pretty powerful on the personal md weapon scale yeah now these are humans that i'm thinking here if, if we're going to be going with capable mega damage dealing warriors juicers borgs whatnot you're going to be getting into things like 1d4 times 10 or so on Mm -hmm. with decent amount of robotic or supernatural strength the fact that vampires can just dish that out like it ain't no thing yeah yeah yeah, it's pretty awesome 
and you can't necessarily do it back to them unless no. you're doing it with magic. So let's talk about that. What what will hurt a vampire in Palladium? Because I imagine if you're following along at home, you've already flipped to that part and being, all right, so how do I hit these big bad bastards back? They do have a nice list of weaknesses here. And along with one of the best, best pictures of all. Which one? Uh, the, the squirt gun fight. Oh, with, with the yeah, dog boy. Yeah. yeah. So things that vampires are weak against and keep in mind that uh, they list in this core book, eight weaknesses and each one has its own caveat. Wood is a weakness, but only in certain, only when used in certain ways. If you impale them with a wooden stake through the heart, they're paralyzed. And if you hurt them with wooden weapons, they'll take full damage, right? That's cool. Yeah. Until they regenerate. Until they regenerate, which they do very quickly. Silver can hurt them. Uh, it can do, uh, what is it, uh, a significant amount of damage. You know, it does more than regular damage, which is nothing. Silver can hurt them very well. But again, they regenerate. Garlic and Wolf Bay discourages them. But it doesn't hurt them. Those are herbs. Mm-hmm. And then there's uh, what I believe became... A joke. A running joke. <laughs> Water. Well, no, it's actually not that. It's the uh, it's the protection of the symbol of the cross. Now, I know that one changed, and it changed in a couple of ways. Essentially, in the core book, it is meant as a way to hold them back. And yeah. if the vampire stands in the shadow of a cross, depending upon what it's made of and how big it is, they might take damage while in the shadow of the cross. But it does give you some minor bit of that clerical turn undead with vampires yeah. when you hold forth the, the Christian cross. Okay, we got water. Let's talk about water. Water is a wonderful deterrent against vampires. Now, this isn't, this is moving water. This is, this is running water, mm -hmm. as I understand it. This is a creek. Now, we all know that vampires can change into mist. Vampires can fly. It doesn't matter. Vampires are unable to change and fly even as high as kilometers above the water. They just, they, they will not pass it. It's all psychological. Yeah. So here's, here's my, here's my tinfoil hat theory. Vampires are afraid of earth, the things that grow on the earth, wood, the metals of the earth, silver, the thing that eats at the earth, the water. They're, they're afraid of elemental things. They're afraid of, air uh, as put forth by sunlight and yes this thing sunlight will blow them into ash real fast classic we don't really need to talk about that it's taken for granted here vampires as an extra dimensional intelligence may come from a place that is beyond uh we're talking formless chaos void uh which would explain the elder god shape of them you know a blob with tentacle mouths they don't come from a dark planet. They come from a place of, of nothingness and roiling, seething chaos. And that's, that's where they live. That's my tinfoil hat theory. And that's why things of the earth, air, water, fire, and heart hurt them so much. Ah, but fire doesn't hurt them unless it's magical. Normal yes. fire doesn't hurt them at all. In fact... A common vampire tactic is to go into a town, set it on fire, and then run around through the town because they're immune to it, but all the people that are panicked are not. 
Unless that vampire has been immobilized by a stake. Yeah, but I don't think immobilized by stake vampires are going to be running around through a town. No, but then you can <laughs> burn them. No, yes, yeah, no, yeah, wait. Yeah, yeah. Wait, is it is it the stake or the severed head? Which one is it? In the <laughs> okay, so what we're getting at here is something we should have mentioned here. There is a process for killing a vampire. Really, there's three ways, I think. Three ways to kill a vampire. But we'll talk about the simplest way. The absolute simplest way exposure to the sun exposure to the sun will kill them within seconds something should be noted on that real fast sorry to bust in vampires are not like the Anne rice vampires where if properly protected they can move around during the day when the sun comes up a vampire goes to sleep just like that yeah it's like it it, it must rest yeah it, it literally says they cannot seek refuge in a subterranean abode shielded from sunlight and remain active they are not like humans who can function during day or night their sleep is a deep stasis-like sleep from which they are not easily roused. Okay, so you find where they're sleeping, you expose them to the sun, dead vampire within a second. The second easiest way is to drown them in running yeah. water. A lake, a river, a stream, some kind of water that is connected to a flowing water ecosystem. There you have. You hold them under the water and they will... Take a lot of damage, which they cannot heal from, and they will dissolve into nothing. Yeah, think of a bath bomb that's screaming and struggling. I love that. <laughs> yes. And finally, the third way, which is really difficult to do. Wooden stake through the heart, cut off the head, take the head at least 1DX whatever meters away from the body, and then burn them both. And that's when fireworks. That's when fireworks. Oh, and well, here's the thing. So like silver, silver hurts them. Wood hurts them. But it doesn't kill a stake through the heart does not kill a vampire. It it messes up your clothes. Yep. Yeah. You can cut, you can burn a vampire to nothing and that nothing becomes mist. And the moment your back is turned, bam, there's a vampire and he's pissed because he's pissed. Yeah. For example. Wood weapons, such as spears, javelins, arrows, etc., etc., do damage directly to hit points. That sounds pretty cool, right? Then it immediately says, but the accursed monsters regenerate so quickly that the damage, no matter how great, is never life-threatening unless the wooden weapon is thrust into the heart. Yeah. And then just blood sprays out. That's called shot. Penalties. Requires a high roll if you want to do it with something like crossbow. It's possible. Very difficult. <laughs> okay, so we've established all of these ways to fight them and all of these ways that they can fuck you up here. Then this book goes into a, a whole list of ways that you can fight them with technology, mostly techno wizard weapons. And my favorite is the squirt gun. Kids squirt gun shoots running water. Guess what? Does damage to him. Yeah. That super soaker, suddenly you're a vampire hunter. <laughs> You know, I had a thought, and it may be why they're in Mexico. The perfect, the perfect way to protect your town is to build a large reservoir and just have a series of kill switches all over town that just dump the fucking thing. Well, you know, we're about to find out why they're in Mexico as we go deeper into this book. But I want to make a note here. All of this detail, all of this, uh, these mechanics, all of these ways to fight them, Gear that can be used against them, gear that can help you defend against them, notes on how they use magic, notes on how they use technology, notes on how to fight them if you're a Borg, notes on how to fight them if you're a robot. 
all this kind of stuff. 36, 30. Oh, notes on how to fight them if you're a dragon. Notes on how to fight them if you're a Scythe and a mutant dog. It goes into all this stuff. It's pretty, mm-hmm. pretty good details, right? All of this in 38 pages. The entire rest of this book is setting and it's wonderful. And I love that. Yeah. I believe this is Aaron Tarn. Does, um, what's his butt doctor show up in this one? He does briefly, right? Starting on page 38, we get into lore and we actually get the first bit of Aaron Tarn fiction since the Rift's Core rules. There was a bit on a bit from Aaron Tarn in the original book about how she's describing the world, you know, um, something about our modern world, that kind of stuff. Traversing our modern world is, you know, the the unauthorized book published by Aaron Tarn and distributed throughout the coalition states. We have here on page 38, the first new Aaron Tarn fiction. It is a little two page description of her journey through or into and through Central America. It's very fascinating, has a great look at uh, what she discovered all throughout the area. And it ends on page 39. Aaron Tarn has not been heard of since this last letter. <gasps> Moose and squirrel style. Dun, dun, dun. Is this the end of Aaron Tarn? What will happen to our <laughs> hero next time? <laughs> then we get to the parts that Matthew just fucking loves. We get to towns we get to the societies within that town we get to the sizes of the town we get to their location we get maps we get places of note we get pages and pages and pages of gangs notable figures what towns are where regions uh, affiliations what would they love what they hate what their vampire population is i love this stuff Maps of towns with numbered keys and hundreds of individual locations, each location with its own little description and maybe a little bit about someone who's there, why they're there, what schemes they're up to. This, to me, is what I was talking about earlier. This, to me, is what I love about early Palladium books. Mm-hmm. You have that deep dive into a living, breathing world that does not revolve around the player characters. This is yeah. a world where things are happening. All different kind of things are happening in the background. And you as a GM can just flip through. You can find a random thing. Let's do this now. Let's see something that's really cool here. We got the Jaguar's Den, which is a secret Sykes hangout, a dangerous saloon for the rough and tumble. Blah, 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 blah. Despite all of this, or perhaps because of it, the two-story tavern is always packed. Seats are premium items, forcing the majority to stand or mill about. It is secretly owned by a gang and used as a safe house. Okay, right here, you've just got this random bit of extreme detail on a minor location that is never mentioned again. It's just left there as a seed for you as a game master to take and turn into its own little adventure to give color to your world. This is what I love about Palladium. A lot of this is all the areas, but there is one place where they focused, and that's Juarez. You, you get a two-page spread map on Juarez. It starts on 91, goes to 92, and it's got turf lined up. It's got all these little houses. It's got over 100 different numbered areas of, of things. And then it has these great notations like uh, mm-hmm. wealthy area, but old, east side slum. And th- these aren't, you know, listed as anything. There's no key that can draw you of one of the, the hundred plus, like 133, 140. It's a lot. Things. It is a lot. Yeah. Uh, yeah. 136 different things. 
so you've got Juarez, but you've got other towns as well. You've got to look hundreds of them. Look into all of the 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 towns, small and great. The the towns ruled by vampires. The towns that are independent kingdoms. And we're only halfway through the book. <laughs> yeah, and now what you're coming up to on page 100 is the first mention of Reed's Raiders. Now, Reed's Raiders are, I'd, I'd say, middling big in this version. Well, so Reed's Rangers are the premier vampire hunting force. Now, they first really make an appearance in here. I think they might get a mention in the first book as in like a sentence, and I think that's it. Oh no, they get like uh they get like ten pages. No, I mean I mean in like the uh Rift's original book. Oh, oh yeah. I yeah. think in that section of world history, they probably get like a sentence, maybe two. But here we get multiple pages dedicated to this vampire hunting juggernaut of a force called Reed's Rangers. And Reed is spooky as fuck. Thank you, Kevin Long. That picture of him leaning across the surgical table with this mad cow glee yeah. uh, mad clown gleam in his eye hey, uh. you, hey you know what though you know what doc reed he knows what's up he wears a yeah. mask stop the spread of disease people yeah fucking put your mask on <laughs> stupid <laughs> anyway so there are these heroes there are these vampire hunting heroes of mexico right and then you get this look into what drives them and how very few of them are even heroic characters. They are simply people that are doing a heroic task, but for often nefarious reasons, with a handful of exceptions. And I love that once again, it's that palladium twist on what Good you evil. might what you might think is really happening is not what's happening kind of thing. And not only that, it's a greater take on what's good and evil. I think someone in Palladium or Kevin Long had uh, excuse me, uh Kevin Sambita had watched some really good uh, like military films in the past and made that connection that while you might be fighting for a good cause, the paladin approach is not the way the, the world or the universe generally takes. You may have a good cause and do horrible things to bring it about. And we're going to take this back a few episodes to when we were talking about Savage Rifts and that kind of tragic view of the world is one reason I mentioned before that I wasn't super into the Savage Rift's changes to the Rift setting. The whole creation of the Tomorrow Legion being essentially the good guys, light and holiness and, <laughs> and unicorns and gummy bears and Jesus kind of thing. It was so wrong. It just didn't seem right. Oh, by the way, did, did you want... 50 pages of how to design a vampiric traveling circus. Oh, not just vampiric. There's good ones in there, too. Oh, yeah. 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 I know in, when we've talked about the Rifters, we've taken a look at Palladium's uh, alphabetical world generation system, you mm -hmm. know, where they're like, here's how to generate a town. Here's how to generate a mercenary company. Well, here we have the introduction to Palladium's most reprinted set of rules, the traveling show creation rules. <laughs> in everything oh yeah <laughs> like whenever he just needs space in a book he's or, or he has excess space in a book he's like let's put in the traveling show rules <laughs> but they're cool they are cool and there's disturbing stuff in there too well you get two good examples and i like i do like now here i am talking about how i like all the dark and twisted stuff i like that the first example of a traveling show 
is actually a pretty cool one. It's it's for the kids. It's yeah. this guy who's actually a pretty cool dude who's traveling around and bringing happiness and joy through his traveling show. And then you get the one after that, which is the yeah. exact opposite. <laughs> the dark carnival, as it were. Yeah, it's the Juggalo show. Yeah. <laughs> then you get uh, some more uh, some more location stuff. You got uh, the Utican Peninsula goes on for quite a bit. And one of my favorite pictures when I first uh, picked up this book, God, I think it was in 91 or 92 when I actually got my first copy of this. Because this, the conversion book and Riffs were all I owned of Riffs specifically. That's a good set. I ran out of money. I mean, it's still a good set. That's a good yeah. foundation right there. What I what I had was a car, I think, after that. I got a car. And yeah, things changed. Anyway, uh the the picture on, on 155 of the 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 gunhead robot. I love that robot. Yeah. I've always loved that robot. It's kind it, of a two-pager because the first page shows the robot. Yeah. And then the second and, page shows this nice comic style division of what happens to that robot. Yeah. Uh, cause you're, you're seeing the, anyway, pick up the book. You'll see yeah. it. <laughs> buy it, buy it from uh Go there. Then you get the Utican and then you get more maps. You get maps of ley lines. You get maps of, uh, what cities have survived. Now I would, I would like to note that an awful lot of cities on the coast here survived. Not my hometown of Mobile, Alabama. Notice that. Look at that map right there. It's just floating out there in the middle of the water. <laughs> yeah, it seems like a lot of the Mexican and Central American coast was unchanged. The The Yucatan is pretty strong, but as you very quickly realize, it's because the Yucatan doesn't exist in this world. It is a strange slice of Rift's Earth that exists now in two dimensions at the same time. One of which is populated by terrible, horrible demon gods. I, I love, I love that they just didn't nod at the Latin areas. I, I love that they, they took time. They developed a great world there. Because in so many other post-apocalyptic worlds, it's, and it fell. Obviously, it fell. It's a third world country. Whitey leads the way. And I really love that here, in this book, they did not do that. They didn't just write it off. It's, it's rich. And they took the time to get the cultures. And they took the time to develop backstory all over the fucking place. And I fucking love that. And I'm... I'm I know, I know they get in occasional trouble for being insensitive, but I think they should also be fucking padded when they do a good job. And this is an amazing job. It's a goddamn good book. This is Chupacabra in here. It works for, it works for vampires. It's a goddamn good book. Yeah. And what I love most about it is the division of crunch and fluff. This yeah. book has so much setting information, lore, factions, People, stories, stories, places, adventure seeds. This is a book about the vampire kingdoms. It's right there on the cover. Vampire fucking kingdoms. It's a great book. This is a fantastic start to the world book series. Agreed. Um, I will say that not all the world books are up to the standard. Mm -mm. I've, I've read a few, but this one, 
this is, I, I agree with everything you just said and more. Yeah. Now, like I said, this is one of the three Riffs books I have. This, the, the green cover will always, always have a warm place in my heart. Even that god-awful picture of Dracula in high uh, moon boots jumping off of a cliff and becoming a bat by stages. That off, like, Kevin, I don't know what you're doing there. You, you do so well. What was that? One thing I really love, though, is the tone that is set in the first page. You, you look at the cover here and you see Mega Damage Dracula here leading his minions against the people of Earth, whatever. Anyway, you see this horde of vampires coming at you. All right, cool. That's what you're going to have to fight. You flip to the first page and you see a ray of hope. You see a Kevin Long piece showing a man standing there wielding the light of the sun, holding back that evil as his buddies are also doing the same, pressing forward, bringing that light to the darkness. And it's that moment of hope that perhaps you can lead your group of adventurers into the vampire kingdoms and make a positive change. And because it's palladium, flip the page again. And then you have killer clowns <laughs> from outer space. <laughs> uh-huh. Fucking the, love this book. And, and on page three is how the insane clown posse started. <laughs> right? <laughs> Uh, well, I think that's all we got to say about the first book. Yeah, I, I could probably riff on it a bit more, but I think looking here, we, we probably should stop this one here. I think we'll refer a lot, a lot back to it in the next one. Buy this book. And this is one of the, the, the very, I, I won't say Palladium doesn't do quality because they do. But Palladium has also produced fluff that you probably didn't need. This is a book you probably will need. Go buy it. Go buy it from the Palladium site. I strongly recommend you to start with the first printing. Well, not the first printing, but the first version. Oh, yes. If you can get the green cover, the Kevin Long piece with Dracula standing there wearing his pointless mega damage armor, pointing off uh, into staring you down, trying to lasciviously massage your mind while a bunch of Palladium staff members who are dead are coming at you. You need to get this cover. That's the good one. Yeah. (laughs) All right. Well, thanks for tuning in, everyone. You've been listening to The Glitter Boys, a Palladium Books fan podcast. Glitter Boys, Rifts, the Megaverse, and all other such topics are the property of Kevin Sambita and Palladium Books. Please buy all their stuff and help keep them in print and making more games. You can order directly at palladiumbooks.com, and their entire catalog is available digitally at DriveThruRPG as well. Our opening music is 8-Bit Bass and Lead by Furby Guy from freesound.org. This closing music is Caravana by Philip Gross, available at freemusicarchive.org. All sound effects used are self-made or acquired via Creative Commons Zero License. If you like what you have heard, find us on Twitter and Facebook as The Glitter Boys. That's B-O-I-S. And check us out online at breakfastpuppies.com slash glitterboys. And also join us on the Breakfast Puppies Network Discord at breakfastpuppies.com slash discord. And if you want to help us out, please spread the word and help us build a community. Thanks again for listening. We'll catch you next time.